Ooh, I'm glad to be back with you. Amen. Amen. For those uh, who are new to Redeemer, um, during the summer is a time for us to go. And so uh, we have people that are serving um, outside of this community and inside this community. It's time for us to go and take a rest as well. So there are people who are out resting right now as well, rejuvenating, refreshing, and preparing for the next thing that God has. And so uh, already uh, this, this summer we've had folks that are at Camp Blessing who are uh, on staff working there all summer long. Uh, others that have gone for one week at a time. We have some of our youth who are going again uh, real soon next week, uh, in a couple weeks. Um, we also have, uh, we are very well connected to Brenham Next, and so Jam's been going on. This is their uh, coming last week. They've had 170 students uh, that they've been working with, yes, uh, not to mention their junior counselors and, and counselors, and so I got to see uh, all that in action this week. It was fantastic uh, to see such a great mix of folks and, and, and just celebrating the Lord and learning about what it is to be a follower after Jesus um, we have so much that's happening. We have folks that are, uh, have been, been uh, the Winkelmans have been at uh, a Young Life camp, uh, and, and, uh, so, and they'll be doing more of that during the summer, and so they've seen folks come to faith there. Uh, other folks who are in, in the faith came a new realization of what God has for them in their lives. And so it is a lot of going and doing, and so our part is to both be the goers and the doers uh, and also be the prayers and the funders. And uh, so um, it is great the Lord has put us in this place. And then next week, starting tomorrow, we have uh, some 90 students, uh, kiddos, that will be coming uh, with their parents and having basketball camp, and we get to share with them uh, the story of David and learning about faith and what it is to be uh, people after God's own heart. So, wow, you know, praise the Lord. Uh, and I just came back from Kenya, and so I wanted to just give you a couple of words of stuff that happened there. Uh, I took a, a team with us uh, from another church, and uh, well, we'll look forward to taking more, more teams from here. And uh, they built a building out in a place called Tharaka. Tharaka is out in the middle of nowhere, um, uh, they have uh, gotten the, the gospel late, and so um, they, they don't have uh, much background in uh, understanding of who God is. In fact, their background is watching each other and watching stuff on TV, which uh, TV church is not quite the same. Amen. Uh, so uh, they have all kinds of mixed up ideas about things and uh, poor theology. And so uh, we spent the first week there. I think, uh, oh, there we are. And the boba tree, uh, under the boat, it's like a Keebler elf tree there. So there aren't any Keebler elves. Uh, there were no cookies in Tharaka, if you want to know. There were no, uh, but uh, this is our team here. Uh, and you can see, uh-oh, that's going to cost you a big tithe this week, buddy. Uh, so you can see our team is, is both guys from the States as well as uh, our Kenyan brothers there. Uh, and we're all serving together as a team. And uh, we, we do that teaching in Swahili, so I have to have a, a translator. Uh, Mzungus, white-faced people have to have uh, translators while we're there. Um, let's turn, turn the next slide here. Um, and uh, in Tharaka, they are they famously, I don't know, they, they don't intend to do this, but they all wear pastels. Like the men wear pastels. So uh, I took this picture, and the next day, everyone else showed up in pastels too because they wanted a picture. But uh, 
I only wore my pink shirt once, so uh, I had to get in when I had a chance. But uh, so that's just kind of uh, I don't know why that happens, but we have, we have a fun time with it. Uh, and then uh, we were teaching uh, biblical hermeneutics, so interpretation of the Bible. Uh, and if your your way of understanding what the Word of God says is by uh, listening to what somebody else said or just skimming through and trying to find something to talk about to other people, if you use your Bible at all, you can imagine there's lots of problems that come from that. And so as we sat and talked and learned how to observe the Scriptures, in fact, last, uh, last fall we had a group of folks that we went through biblical interpretation together and learned a lot together. Well, we did the same thing with these guys. And these guys have no, they, have no, they didn't grow up with Sunday school. They didn't grow up, uh, they didn't go to seminary. Many of them didn't finish high school. And so for them to sit under this kind of teaching is a new thing for them. It's eye-opening for them. And so as we went through the scriptures and we learned how to observe a passage and understand its context and, and understand how it fits to this bigger story of redemption that's all through the Bible, how God in the very beginning has been preparing a way for his people to be right with him and to be at peace with him. As they saw how all that fit together and, and they would come to look at the same, in fact, one time I said, let's study this passage for 20 minutes. You observe and then I want you to tell me what it's about. And so they raised their hand. I said, what do you think this is about? They raised their hand. I pointed this person. They tell me one thing. I went through. There are 41 people in there. 25 of them gave answers, and everyone had a different answer. And so I told them, now, either uh, one of you has it right or none of you have it right. Because <laughs> it means something. And the answer was actually none of them had it right at that point. That's, isn't that crazy? Like we'd spent 20 minutes. And then, so we spent a little bit more time in observing, and I gave them a little guidance. And at the end, I asked that same question, and 25 hands went up, and all of them had just about the exact same answer. I said, look, you see, it's there. We famous, the, the, we were, the phrase we continued to use was, the Bible is understandable, but you have to understand it. Like, you have to put in the effort to try and understand it. And so... At the end, they were saying, we have been teaching the Word of God wrongly, and not just wrongly, but we have been doing harm to the Word of God, to God, and to his people. One guy just started beating his chest. He didn't say anything. He just started beating his chest. But they were learning. And at the end, they were so relieved. And as they've said in the last four classes before this, at the end, they said, now we understand. <laughs> we're good now. I said, no, no. <laughs> Come back, come back. There's some more. We're going to have to do some more work. So we got to spend time with our, our brothers and sisters in Tharaka. We built a building for our teachers to come. It's so remote. We can't even, we, we have to drive an hour one way uh, just to get there every day. Uh, and so now we have some uh, living quarters for teachers to stay. We have living quarters for students. There's a church there. Um, and so uh, we look forward to continuing to, to minister to those folks. They're already excited about the graduation that's coming up in a year uh, and have a whole host of people they're going to be bringing back to the next class. Amen. One of my favorite parts of that picture, uh, part of that time is these, these two pictures here. The guy squatting there is Barnabas. Uh, and Barnabas is teaching guys in the cool of the day there as we prepare for the next day and walking them through the steps of how to interpret the Bible, how to observe, correcting them, and encouraging them. I think there's another picture similar to this. Uh, and this is uh, our other brother. Uh, we have matching, almost matching bracelets. His has a belt that goes with it. I'm going to work it, look, in, look into that. But uh, this, uh, uh, this is Brother Peter. And you can just see like, ah, oh, 
We're getting it, right? We're, we're understanding. And to see these guys just sitting and studying together, uh, coming together as the body of Christ um, is very hopeful. I, I want, so I want to thank Redeemer. I know not everybody gets to go. Uh, some, many of you have been. Um, but I thank you for giving me time to go um, and for uh, all of us working together to fund and, and pray for these people. It, it, is, uh, it is making a huge impact on these communities. And they are so relieved. There's a great burden to teach somebody and teach them wrongly. Um, and to have that burden relieved uh, is a blessing to them. And so uh, I send you with their thanks as well. If you uh, are just now with us, we have been going through the Sermon on the Mount. um, And in the Sermon on the Mount begins with a section called the Beatitudes. Jesus is at at the beginning of his ministry. He is... uh, He is with his disciples and in the earshot of all kinds of people, and he is teaching them the ways of the kingdom. And the ways of the kingdom are peculiar um, to even religious people. The way of the kingdom is peculiar to even religious people. And so Jesus, in these first few verses of the Beatitudes, talks about the right kind of attitude, the blessed kind of living that we should, be, we should have as people of this kingdom. Amen. And so if you are, observer, you are an observer of religion or even a participant in religion, the reality is you may have missed the boat. Jesus is saying the most religious of religious people, not just religious of religious people um, of that time, but historically some of the most religious people, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, even though they be religious, they'd be wrong, is what Jesus was saying. And so he lays down this framework of what it is to have the right kind of attitude to be a kingdom kind of purpose, a person. And so we have to learn, we have to learn from Jesus because many people are reading the same scriptures and having a different kind of practice. And so Jesus clarifies the right kind of attitude in the Beatitudes. And then from there, the rest of the sermon is, okay, if you have these kinds of attitudes within you, these kingdom kind of attitudes, meaning that you are a person uh, who is humble, who is meek, someone who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, if this is the kind of person you are, then as you go into life, you'll come into different situations in life, and this is now how you should see those things, because now you have this blessed attitude within you. So as we've gone through these, we come to um, chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. And real, in, in real quick style, Jesus will give us three things that go together that don't necessarily seem so at first, but he's going to give us three different pictures here. So let's look at them together. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves, yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Even then the light in you is darkness. How great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Or as many of you who are familiar with this passage, God and mammon. I love that word. As we become uh, better uh, students of the word, we realize that oftentimes the Bible is written in what's called uh, chiasms. Uh, where they kind of funnel together and the center point has, is really important to us. And so really, verses uh, 19, and 20, 19 through 21 is one side, and then the other side is verse 24, and right in the middle is verses 22 and 23. 22 and 23 then are a focus. They're to readjust us. Uh, and It seems very appropriate here. It talks about the eye as the lamp of the body. So the eye is for looking out, but it also is for looking in. And if the eye is somehow ruined or or bothered, then if the eye cannot see, then the inside is full of darkness. And so what he's saying is, as you look out, your worldview, how you see life, if it is somehow darkened, then the inside of you will be darkened as well. So it's, it's an encouragement. Listen, listen, because I'm going to give you a worldview here, how to look at the world. And if you look at the world wrongly, you're going to live wrongly, and in the end, you will be in judgment for that. So pay attention. Look and see what I have to tell you. And this is what he has to tell us. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. So he talks about two things. He's going to talk about earthly treasures and heavenly treasures. On the flip side, he's going to talk about two masters, God and money. My prayer is for us as the people of God that we would be able to see unencumbered. We'll be see clearly what Jesus has to say to us today. When I, when I lived in Moldova, I went to visit a friend named uh, Eugene. And so uh, as I sat with them, we, we had the kind of traditional meal. Uh, they would cut up some chleb, some bread, and we put some jelly on it, and we would have that with uh, some tea, some chai. And, and then so we sat and talked for a while, but then a little bit later they said, do you want, do you want some compote? So we don't have compote here. And I said, like, okay. <laughs> And so they brought out to me a cherry compote, and they put it in this little plastic cup, and it was the most delicious thing I have ever had. You know, I, I, Kool-Aid is good, right? I mean, Kool-Aid's pretty, pretty yummy, but this is like Kool-Aid that is awesome. You know, Kool-Aid is so sugary and sweet, but this was like cherry, you know, like uh, the cherry juice that you put on your Sunday. you know, you get the, ju- the cherry and you put the juice on top. Like, it's even better than that. Like, it's just pure yumminess, deliciousness. It's like, oh, man, this is awesome. And what they do is they get fresh fruit, and they have some kind of mixture they put it in, and they, they set it up and let it sit for a long time. And so they have these, this compote. And so I was just raving about how awesome this compote was, and they said, oh, oh I liked it, huh? you like that. <laughs> follow me. So the dad says, follow me. It's like, okay, where are we going? So he opens up. The, some kind of doors, some magical doors. 
And we climb down into a cellar. And I look up on the wall. And there is compote. There's red and yellow and orange and, and light tan. And it's, it's just, and then below that, they have vegetables. They're canned vegetables that are there. And they're all just perfectly situated. And then below that is a different kind of juice, if you know what I mean, from the grapes. It's been sitting there a little bit longer, homemade. So there's a bunch of that. And, and it's all these beautiful colors. And, and Eugene's dad's chest is like this because he's rich. He has all this stuff. It's treasure. Hidden in the earth. <laughs> no one knew he had this treasure. And what, what happens in, in Moldova, which is a very, a very fertile place, most people have a dacha. They have a house in the city and they have a dacha. A dacha is a place maybe in your village or outside of town. And there you have your house garden. And so you, you may even have a, a little house to go with it that, with not too many amenities. And you go out there on the weekends and you have your garden. And so you're, you're tilling. You're doing all the garden kind of stuff. You know, you're breaking up the ground. You're planting stuff. You're watering stuff. You're weeding things. You're trying to keep the animals out. And so it takes a lot of effort. And then at the end, you store them like grandma used to do, right? And, and you gather all the stuff. And you, you boil the water. You put the stuff in. You have all these special recipes and the dill and the whatever. And you put it, uh, you put it up. And at the, when, you ha- when you put it up, it's just so beautiful. And you relax. And you know, like, I'm going to be all right. And, and not only was Eugene all right, he was all right. I mean, this was, this was good stuff. He, he doesn't have to wait on whether there's going to be food that is in the stores, because in that place, you don't always have food in the stores. In fact, sometimes you would go and there'd be only one thing. There'd be a hundred of them that nobody wanted anymore, but there would just be the one thing. And so here, the riches for Eugene's house of great toil and labor lay on those walls. What is treasure? Treasure is those things you lay up. Or as grandma used to say, put up. We put up the vegetables, right? It requires work. Putting up things is laying up things requires great attention, but it also has with it a certain kind of affection, a love for those things. Because it is the work of our hands, because it is many times beautiful and things that we find precious. It is also our security and our comfort and also our hope when things go wrong, our treasure. It has not only our attention, but it also has our affection. As uh, Jesus said, it is where our heart is. Earthly treasure. What What is this earthly treasure Jesus is talking about? Well, we pretty quickly can go to this idea of money as being an earthly treasure, or at least a stored up money, something so that you might be comfortable, that you may not have to worry, or, or that you just don't have to live in a small place, that you don't have to have ramen one meal a day being your own meal a day. Amen. Who wants to be in that place anymore? Or you're from couch to couch, pillar to post. Or maybe you just don't want to have enough money so you don't look 
down, be looked down upon, that you don't have to always be asking people for things. So you won't have to worry. Rather, you'll have security and you'll have some freedom. It is that thing that you think about, talk about, plan for, hope for. But it's more than that even. It is the promise of a better and more comfortable life. So, brothers and sisters, what are you counting on? What has your affection? What has your attention? What takes your work? It may be your house. Your house has to be such and such, a property with a pool and a pond. Okay, I got to admit, I'm not too far from that dream, but very far from that dream. (laughs) The right counters countertops, the right neighborhood. Maybe it's even your family. Giving, you seeing your hope in your children. And so you, in many ways, live your life through your children. We give them every advantage possible at great cost, at great cost to ourselves, whether academically or athletically or artistically. You said it three A's together. Thank you. Where does your money go? Where does your attention go? What are you trying to build up? How are you invested? Now, I don't want you to hear me say that the Bible in some way or Jesus in some way is talking against savings, about against good stewardship, against work, against planning. All those things are found uh, in, in Proverbs, especially about how to live the right kind of life. Rather, it's when those things become the treasure. And Jesus is saying, they are not to be trusted. They are not to be trusted. These are ephemeral pursuits, short-lived. They are earthly. They are susceptible to decay, things of being stolen, to loss. Crypto no longer is my treasure. Amen. (laughs) Hold on, I just need a moment. Okay. (laughs) These things are insecure and unsecured. Did you hear that? They're insecure and they are unsecured. An unsecured loan means it's something that has nothing behind it, right? Right? The earthly possessions have nothing behind them to guarantee them. They have no promise, and they have no promiser. They cannot promise a future. Now, that doesn't mean that all of our investments are bad. In fact, oftentimes our investments turn out pretty good. It doesn't mean that we're always going to, these things will always be lost. In fact, sometimes they last our whole lifetime. But there's something better. There is a heavenly treasure. These are things that endure. What things endure for eternity? God, his word, the kingdom of God, men's souls. How are you investing in these things? The test is, 
is what I am focusing my energy and my time, my affections, is it pleasing to God? Is it time with him? Is it caring for the widows, orphans, and prisoners? Jesus said, when you've done unto the least of these, you've done it to him. Is it kingdom work? Does it express the glory of God? What is your plan for life? In The Hobbit, I love that book, there is a little shire, and there in the shire, there's a guy named Bilbo Baggins. He's a hobbit. Baggins ends. Little bitty guy. He lives in the Shire. The Shire is the most charming place. He lives not only in the most charming place, he lives in the most charming little hole in the ground. But it's not like a, a rabbit hole, a stinky rabbit hole. No, no. This is a hole for a hobbit. And in this hobbit, he's built up quite a life for himself. All the walls are paneled wood. As you go and you look around, you go into his pantry, and there are round blocks of cheese, and there are breads, and they're just like Eugene's father's. I'm sure there was compote there. And as you look around, it's everything you could want. Bilbo then sits down at his table, and there he has a sturdy table for an office. You know, one you can bang on, it doesn't rattle. And there he conducts his affairs, his business and all, and reads and writes letters. But then he hears a knock at the door. And there he goes. And who does he see but Gandalf the Wise, huge magician, wizard. And he greets him and tells him that he wants him to go on an adventure. He's not so sure. Why would Bilbo go on an adventure at all? After all, he has everything he wants. He has food, a hearth with a fire that blazes. He's in a comfortable shire. He has more food than he can imagine what to do with. He has all of his nice things, his nice clothes, his writing utensils. And Gandalf wants him to go on an adventure. He has no desire to go on an adventure. He's a hobbit. They don't want to go on adventures. They want to be comfortable and well. Later that night, Another knock at the door, and who is it but a dwarf. Not just one, but many dwarfs that pile into his house because Gandalf has told them to come to his house to take him on an adventure. Bilbo has no desire to go on an adventure. But this adventure is not like any other adventure because these dwarfs are, are after gold in a mountain that once was theirs but now has been taken by a dragon. And if Bilbo will go with them, they will receive, he will receive his percentage of all of the gold inside the mountain. All they have to do is get there and defeat the dragon. Bilbo is so excited to say no. Why would he want to do something like that? Hobbits are for comfort, not for adventure. But something works on Bilbo. And after they left, he looks around, his house now empty because all the dwarves have eaten his food, and he decides to go on an adventure, a most uncertain adventure at that, an adventure that might very well cost him his life. But the gold, that greater treasure, ah, it speaks to him. 
And so he goes. What Bilbo doesn't realize is that adventure will be the greatest thing that he ever does. And it will end up saving the Shire. People of God, we are not called to be hobbitses, to live in comfort. We've been called to a greater adventure, that he has called us to be a part of a kingdom. And Jesus says, since the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of God has advanced and violent men have opposed it. As we as the people of God should be on quite an adventure, one that would make a hobbit very uncomfortable. To fight a dragon that is very powerful. But it won't be by our skill or our wisdom, by the glory of God. And so now, now our vision is a vision of a world in which you're going for, to a greater land for a greater purpose, for a greater treasure. And so we are willing to forego all kinds of present comforts in light of that bigger picture, that larger vision. May the church have eyes to see what Jesus is telling us here. So then it makes sense to us, right? He next says, you can't serve two masters. Either you can stay by the hearth or you can go on the adventure. But you can't do both. There is a, a real tension, in fact, a struggle between those things that are worldly treasures and those things that are heavenly treasures. For it, it always costs us some heavenly treasure if we are going to abide with worldly treasure. And it also will cost us worldly treasure if we're going to have heavenly treasures. Brothers and sisters, I also want us to be careful that oftentimes we think that maybe we are uh, heavenly treasure kind of people. And so we maybe walk past the good Samaritan, the, 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 the man that the good Samaritan healed and, and helped, and, and, and we may give repentance here and there. We may come to church in and, and, and our tithes and offerings and, and we give something. And so we think that token is somehow, well, I'm a kingdom kind of person. Or we give of our time and energy and talents in a, in a very small kind of way. And we, we think that token then counts as laying aside treasure. No, we're talking about a focus for our lives. This says, I am willing to go anywhere and do anything that my money is not my own. I am only a steward for a greater kingdom purpose. And so as you go down into the cellar of your life and you look around, what do you have up on the walls? Are we setting aside things so that we can be comfortable now into the future? Or do we have... We have heavenly things on our walls, projects that we're working on, people we're praying for, that we're spending time with our Lord, and that, that we are caring about the things that God cares about. What's in your pantry? Where is your vision? Where is your life going? As, I, as, as we look at this, I also want to be very aware that being on the journey will wear you out. It is not comfortable. I mean, that's the trade-off. It is not comfortable. 
If you are comfortable, you should say, hmm, let me go back down into the pantry again and see what's up on the walls. But, brothers and sisters, it is not a comfortable trip. Ask Bilbo Baggins. It was not comfortable for him. It will not be comfortable for us. It means that we will have to give up things that made us more comfortable. But we do it not begrudgingly, but because we're on a quest. And we have a great promise that's before us and a hope. So I also want to be aware of those today who are working for the kingdom, and maybe you're tired. And I would encourage you to go back. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Our great treasure that we receive, that heavenly treasure, is God himself. Grow in your time of replenishment and refreshment in his presence. You have a privilege that the world does not know about. You have a hope that the world cannot hold on to. You have a joy that is inexpressible and immutable, unchanging. Seek the heavenly treasure.